All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saberson's DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, July 7th of 2022, 7-7 here today. Uh, too bad we don't have a seven-game MLB slate. That would be perfect. We'd have uh, triple sevens going on here today. Uh, but we will work with the 10-game slate we have here for the main slate tonight. That's fine by me. I like a bigger slate anyway. Uh, thanks for tuning into the stream. If this is your first time watching, first of all, my name's Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. Uh, and Office Hours is an open Q&A stream where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to use our tools to build better DFS lineups. So if you have questions for me that you'd like me to answer here on stream, uh, you can pop them into the YouTube chat if you're joining me here live. Welcome, everybody that is here live. Uh, you can ask your questions in the Office Hours channel in Slack Uh for which there is a link to join that Slack community in the description of every past show. Uh, and you can always email us as well, support at sabersim.com. Uh, just let us know in your email that you want the question answered on office hours, uh, and I will tackle it here on this stream. We're starting one hour late here today. Uh, if you were just joining me, I was over on the Run Pure Sports stream. Uh, one of our partners there doing a uh, a walkthrough there, focusing a lot on single entry, three max, smaller field strategy with with Sabersim there. Um, I know there are always a couple folks that that double dip here on my Thursday shows and and join me on the Run Pure stream and then join me on the Sabersim stream. So uh, always cool to see that. But we are here live now. Uh, quite a few questions in our queue here for today, so we'll get into these shortly here. Um, quick summary, it looks like there's some questions about the uh, the sliders, the default sliders, and maybe more particularly with the, the default buckets uh, for the dropdown. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, a couple questions about contest selection here. Uh, it looks like, um, let's see, pitcher pools in 20 maxes, um, all kinds of different stuff here. Uh, some some longer questions as well. So we'll just go ahead and, and dive in and and uh, play it by ear and start jumping in here. So as always, fire away at me if you have questions, uh, and we'll get to them in roughly the order that they come in. Uh, real quickly, before we get started, or before we really dive in full bore here, uh, put out a video yesterday on the old SaberSim YouTube channel here about late swap in MLB DFS. So that is now up here. Uh, I've added it to our MLB DFS, I guess, course. I don't even know if you'd really call it a course here, but all of our all of our baseball content, our longer streams and videos for this season uh, is up in this particular playlist. This one is up here at the end. Um, late swap is a big part of, of baseball DFS. Not, not on the same scale as basketball, of course. News isn't breaking as often. Uh, it's not necessarily as impactful when it does, uh, but it does come out. We get late starting lineups coming out most nights. We have late, sc late scratches most nights. Uh, there's weather news. Uh, and I think the big thing, you know, is, is correlation, right? We work really hard to build correlated stacks, uh, good lineups before lock. How do we swap these lineups here while maintaining correlations after lock? Um, I think the other thing that's really important, a big point that I hit on in that video is how do you judge the impact of news, Right. Uh, when, when a player ends up not in the lineup, right? Well, what if it's, how do you handle that situation uh, differently if it is um, Anthony Rizzo, right? Key player for the Yankees. Maybe you have him in 30% of your lineups versus uh, some other guy, you know, versus Ben Gamble for the Pirates or something like that, right? Those are different situations. They require different actions. They require different responses. So um, I think worth a watch. Uh, definitely, if, you, if you're if you a little bit unsure of how to use SaberSim's late swap tools uh, for your baseball lineups, definitely go check that video out. But um, let's go ahead here and start answering some questions. I'm going to go ahead here and we'll just, we'll just start from the top. 
Um, we got some long ones here today, guys. So, so bear with me. We're going to read these aloud here, uh, and then we'll, we'll start jumping into, uh, the answers here. So this first one is from cloaked mistborn here. Uh, and it says on many of the recent videos, you've talked about doing new back tests. One question I have is whether y'all are discussing changing the ranges of numbers, uh, that is 100 to 1,000, 1,000 to 10,000, et cetera. Uh, at least for baseball, so many of the low dollar contests seem to be around 800 to 1,200 entries or 3,000 to 4,000. Uh, for example, the hot corner and strike three, three maxes, pick off and daily dollar, uh, whereas the four seamer solo shot have around eight to 15,000 entrants. So it seems those ranges don't effectively match the common ranges of contests because they are often on the cusp of two of them. And at least for me, I manually adjust the sliders to get an in-between setting. Uh, if you aren't tinkering with the ranges of backtesting, how do you guys set the sliders for the test? And then if they if a contest has 1.2K entrance or 11.2, which slider ranges would be more effective? Uh, very good question here. Um, so I, kind of summarizing here, are we, are we doing any work on the the default options, I guess, for the sliders here. Um, and the short answer is yes. Um, as a part of our current work to backtest and make sure that these sliders are optimized, we're also looking at these dropdowns, uh, both for the buckets themselves to see if these are the right sizes, uh, to see if these are the right breakpoints, but also the categories themselves. Uh, is entry limit a, a defining feature of a contest? You know, I, I guess even a better way of looking at it is is it something that deserves to be separated, right? Is there truly a significant difference between uh, the way single entry contest of this size versus a 20 max contest of this size plays out strategically? Um, so that is all a part of our ongoing research. Uh, Matt mentioned as well in Slack uh, that this research is a part of our current Behind the Sims series, right? So if you are interested, this is, I mean, literally two weeks ago, six days ago, we are recording the internal calls we are having as we conduct this research. Uh, we're doing a taking a pretty cool approach to this this time around. We are using the contest simulation framework that Eric built out as a part of our contest selection research here, uh, and then using that to run true contest sims to conduct this back test of the sliders. So if you're interested, uh, especially if you're really interested in the technical side of SaberSim here, um, the, the infrastructure side, the the DevOps side even here, uh, I'd check that out. Um, you know, definitely an interesting lesson here, but that is all a part of that ongoing research into the sliders here. So um, the, the the very short answer here is, is yes, we are looking into that. Um, and I think partially, you know, it. I think it is an interesting point and, and something that, um, I'll bring up to the team as well of looking at this, not just from the standpoint of where are the logical strategic breakpoints for these buckets, but also where are the logical buckets in terms of what the DFS lobby actually looks like, right? Uh, you know, it wouldn't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to have a breakpoint that's necessarily right in between a big chunk of contests, right? If there's, like you mentioned here, if there's a big chunk of contests between 8,000 uh, and 12,000, right? There's a lot of contests there, then it, it it's kind of confusing that these two buckets break out like this. Um, so in the meantime, I, I do think you are taking the right approach here. Um, you know, obviously, like, if there is a contest that is exactly 10,000 entrants or something in it, I think it does require a little bit you know, either of these slider settings in reality would, in practicality would probably be fine. But I do think, you know, require using a little bit of your own 
input, studying maybe what the lineups look at both settings and then using a middle ground value with the manual mode uh, or just picking the one that you like more, I think is a great approach in the meantime. But um, all of that and more is, is kind of a part of our research here. So um, Cloaked Mistborn, if you have more questions for me, uh, fire away. Let me know. Uh, hopefully that kind of helped get you started there. Uh, and we'll jump over to a question here um, from In It to Bink It. I'm going to start uh, with this first question. It looks like there's kind of a series of three questions here. We're going to start with this one. Uh, and this says, uh, do you have the link to the spreadsheet where you can look at your expected returns and outcomes based on ROI? I'm a 20 max player. If there's a separate sheet for that, uh, I'm not positive. This is what you're referring to, but it sounds like, uh, you're, you're talking about the, the, the research sheet basically that we made from our, our contest selection, um, work. And that is linked, um, in so in the DFS profit plan video down here in the description, view the raw data from our research. If you click this, this should open up a read-only version of this raw data here. This is the this is the data that we pulled up here in that I pulled up in both this video and in the behind the Sims research for this particular thing. Um, so if you want to look at like you know the the results of different portfolios, uh, things like that. That's my best guess on what you're referring to. If it's if I'm missing something here, um, let me know. Um, but that that's what it sounds like you're referring to. Um, and then another question here about contest. I guess not even contest selection, but contest maxing here. Um, Question says, could you take a look at the $5 LOL GPP for tomorrow? How many entries do you think would be optimal? I normally try to match the 10th place entry as entry freeze prize rather than max it. Um, yeah. So like how many, how many entries should you play in a given contest? I think this, there's, there's a lot of heuristics here, uh, that you can use for this. Um, I think, uh, matching 10th place as entry fees, I think is a decent one. I know shady advice in Slack said that he will max a contest, uh, basically up until he can still get, he can five X his, his total entry fees if he wins first. Right. Um, I think those are all all good approaches here. Let's take a look at this particular contest here. Um, so let's see. It is a 42 max um, and it's 1426. Um, so basically you can play up to approximately 3% of the total entries in this contest here. Um, a couple of things that I look at here. So, I mean, first of all, if you were playing, you know, I think the approach of playing 10 I think the approach of playing the entry fees equivalent to 10th place is a is a decent starting point. That would be eight entries, right? So that would be uh what point like 0.05% of the total entries in this contest here. Um, and I see you right there, actually. It looks like you've already entered here. So I think that's fine. Um, I also, you know, I think some of this depends a little bit on your edge in the sport, right? Like if you are a if you are a skilled League of Legends player, I don't think there's any problem with maxing this contest out. Uh, because you're going to still have, you know, when you take down a, a top prize or something like that, right? If you're if you're earning uh, more than your first sh fair share of first places, you're still going to be profitable in this contest. Um, it also depends a little bit on strategically how you play these, right? If you play a very condensed player pool, uh, you are going to be competing with yourself heavily amongst these 42 lineups. So the more lineups you play. Uh, the more spread out I would get with my exposure so that you're covering a wider range of outcomes and you're not competing with yourself when a particularly narrow range of outcomes occurs. Um, so I think it depends a little bit on your strategy, your edge in the sport, how comfortable you are embracing variance too. The more lineups you play, the more variance you're going to, you're going to have, the bigger swings you're going to have to your bankroll as well. Um, 
you know, the one thing that's obviously worth saying here is that you should be playing within your bankroll no matter what, right? So whatever you end up choosing to play in a particular contest, your total investment over the course of the slate shouldn't be more than 5% maximum of your total bankroll that you have available for, for DFS period. Um, I think for what it is worth, my heuristic that I've used in the past is I will often... I will proceed with caution about exceeding more than 1% of the total entries in a contest. Um, so I would probably, probably cap out at about 42 total lineups if I were playing this contest. Um, again, just, I think it's a, I think it smooths out the variance a little bit. It makes that your lineups are less likely to compete with each other um, and gives you a little bit more potential upside when you do have that, that top score. So um but it, it is a little bit, I think, I think the, the heuristic that you're using as well is, is perfectly fine. It sounds like it's on average, probably a little bit more conservative than, than mine is. Um, so, but not necessarily a question that I can say there's a one size fits all solution. I would say the big factors are uh, what's your edge in the sport? How comfortable are you with the swings of variance? Um, and how, what is your, what is your strategy? on that particular sport, how wide are your exposures versus how thin of a particular edge might you be pushing uh, are all good things to think about there. So, um, and then another question here from in it to bank it, uh, pivoting over to baseball here. Um, and, uh, okay. Uh, also, I seem to be very concentrated on my pitchers in my 20 lineup set, even in my large builds on large slates. Is there a way to make builds prioritize bats more potentially uh, or any way to get some more variation? Uh, my my kind of blanket state my, my blanket statement answer for how do I get more variation in my lineups across any sport, any contest type, anything like that is always, always to start with increasing the sim precision slider. Right. Um, you know, one thing that I like to do or one thing, one, one, this is again, kind of like a general heuristic that I like to look at. Um, but I will look at what is the maximum sim precision that's used for any contest on that particular slate, which will almost always be the 150 max and the 50 K and then increase your sim precision to that level. Right. So maybe you're actually building for the four seamer, but you increase the sim precision to seven just to see, to get more variance. Right. And what this is doing is this is saying that instead of using 28 game simulations per lineup, uh, we're using 11 game simulations per lineup, right? It's going to increase if there is a high, if there's an outlier outcome within that bucket of 11 sims, it's going to have a bigger impact than it would in a bucket of 28 sims. And then we can experiment and see what these lineups look like. Um, tonight might not be the perfect example of this for this particular slate because there are like three elite pitchers uh, in um, Cease and Cole and Musgrove. And I imagine that for most of your lineups in your 20 lineup pool, you are probably going to have mostly those names showing up um, because they, they project far and away as the best pitching options on the slate. But let's talk about ways that even with that in mind, we could still get more diversity, more variation in our lineups here. So uh, we'll let this build and we'll take a look and we'll see if my hypothesis is correct here. Uh, but um all is not lost and we can still, we can still get more diversity here. So give this a moment to load while I get a moment to catch my breath as well, uh, or not, no need. 
Let's keep it going. All right. So, I mean, here, first of all, so 100% Cease, 50% Musgrove, 20% Coal, and then a couple other names popping up here, right? Maybe you want more diversity than this, right? Um, you know, an easy way to do that, I think, would be to just start adjusting your exposures, right? So you can come in here and say, maximum, give me 60% Cease. Um, and what we'll do, we'll go and sort through the pool of 500 until we find the best 20 where only 60% use Cease. And maybe we come over here and we do something similar to Musgrove. And we say, in this case, maybe maximum 40% Musgrove. Um, and I imagine this is going to put us on a bunch of Garrett Cole here momentarily. Um, oh, not too much. And we can see we get a little bit more of a diversified pool. Um, we could take this even further, right? Maybe we could say 30% maximum for any one pitcher. Uh, and what you'll actually often see here um, is that there's a little bit of a seesaw effect between your pitcher exposures and your stack exposures, where as you diversify one more, uh, it will... Um, push you, it will condense your exposure to the others, right? So if you diversify your pitching pool, it will it will diversify your pitching pool. You'll have a wider range of different pitchers, but it will condense you onto more of the best overall hitting spots, right? Um, which kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? As you, as you diversify one way, uh, you can essentially afford to condense in the other direction, right? There are uh, a variety of different in this case, if we think that the Rockies are the kind of the best overall stack ownership accounted for tonight, uh, it makes sense that as we diversify our pitching exposures, we are condensing onto Rocky stacks. So uh, to summarize here, really, right? I think, again, I think by far the best way to get your lineups to be more diverse and more variant from each other and less less interlineup correlation overall is to increase this imprecision slider. Um, and I think you can even go higher than this. I don't want to give the the... I don't want to give off the perception that you can't go any higher than this. You should just be aware that like you are, you are increasing the volatility of your lineups as well, right? You're going to get riskier and riskier plays in there as you do this. Um, but then doing that, running a build and then adjusting your exposures until you're happy with the, the diversity of those, of your pool, of your lineups, I think is the, the best way to go. So, um, okay. And we will keep it going here. Average Tuesday. Has a question. Uh, and it says for late swap, how does the builder handle exposure levels when swapping only affected lineups? For example, if I have a player set at max 30% and I already have 30% in the unaffected lineups, uh, will the builder use that player in the swapped lineups, putting me over my sap, set max exposure, or will it know that I already have 30% in the other lineups and look for other players to use? Uh, really good question here. Um, so, you know, kind of summarizing here, um, how are, how are min and max exposure settings handled? I guess actually you summarized it pretty well here. Uh, but how are, how are min and max exposures handled when running a late swap build that only includes out players in it? Uh, I will probably have to follow up, uh, with the rest of the team on this to feel a hundred percent confident in my answer, but I have a strong hunch that it is treated as a separate build entirely. In other words, it's not considering your current exposure to other players. Um, it treats that build as separate. So it could potentially push you over or under your min and max exposures for players, depending on how that kind of shakes out. Um, so, you know, a, a couple, I guess, a couple strategies to potentially deal with that. One would be to rebuild all of your lineups together, right? Don't use the late swap only out players. Instead, late swap your entire pool, which will then honor the min and max exposures because you are rebuilding the entire set of lineups. Um, another option would be to take basically the opposite approach and rely more heavily on the quick swap tool, 
which will just one-to-one swap players in and out. That will kind of limit the uh, effect of your late swap on your overall exposures and your overall lineup pool. Um, but I suspect because because that build is still a unique separate build um, in terms of the way that Saberson actually handles that, I suspect that basically it will it will treat those minute it will handle the it will apply those minimax exposures in the context of that partial late swap build, but not in the context of your entire entries file. But I will follow up with the rest of the team to to confirm on that particular note there because that I'm not positive there. That's the first time I've answered that question. So. Um, but okay. Um, so Tim asks a tough question here. Um, these are tough. Get these, we get these questions on occasion here. I'm going to do my best I can with this one. Uh, this says I am very process oriented in my approach to DFS. I'm still having trouble knowing how to adjust my lineups after I build them in the sim. Uh, I've been told by many that it is my own personal preference and various versions of, I need to add my flavor to it. Uh, I've been playing long enough to know that while I'm trying to, what I'm trying to figure out is how to take the sim builds and tweak them for the optimal chances of being at the top in the, each slate. Uh, what is that process? Um, it looks like this got a little bit out of order, but there was also a note here. I know there are not specific rules and numbers, but what are the best practice guidelines? What do I check? What do I adjust? Uh, I know others have a good process. I see lots of Saberson helmets. Oh, there we go. At the top of each slate. What is that process? Um, okay. So, you know, I think I'm going to start here from talking about, you know, our goal with the design, the implementation of SaberSim is to automate the busy work of DFS uh, to unlock more time for you to do add value to other parts of the process. And what that means is that if SaberSim were a traditional optimizer, it would be very easy for me to answer this question because there would be things that the tool just flat out did not, there would be many things that the tool flat out just did not do. And there would be a lot of things that you had to do every single slate to add value, to get better lineups. We could talk about, oh, well, you have to start thinking about correlation and you have to go in and set rules and probably study the starting lineups for each team and uh, stack out each team. And then you need to think about ownership, right? Uh, you need to think about how much ownership am I comfortable with and probably build some more rules and some more groups and some other things to think about ownership, right? And then you need to think about ranges of outcomes. Players don't score their average projection every single time. What does their actual range of outcomes look like? Uh, how much exposure are you comfortable to a particular player given that player's range of outcomes? All of these different things. And by the time you're at the end of it, you have you probably spent an hour or more to get your lineups all dialed in uh, and you you have some kind of process, so to speak, Right. Well, that, that is what is kind of been automated or what we have attempted to automate within SaberSim, right? We have attempted to build a tool that understands upside in GPPs here um, and takes into account things like correlation and ownership and the ranges of outcomes in the form of sim precision so that your lineups are starting from a much better point here than they would have been to begin with. Now, the caveat to that is that when we identify things that I can, that you can say is a very easy, you need to take this into account, we implement them into the app, right? We build it in. That means the things that you can do to add value to other starts parts of the process are still there. There is a very high ceiling of where you can take SaberSim, but it is less of like a flowchart that I can say, just do this. Because as we identify those things that are just do this, we then fix them, right? Or implement them. Um, so I will say a couple things. I'll try to point you in the direction of a few things, um, where I think you can add some value 
to the process. Uh, but I am frankly not going to be able to just say, just hand deliver you the process on a plate and say, this is all the things to do to, to, to take it to the next level, right? Because that that is going to be a little bit different for everybody. I mean, different people have different skill sets, different people think about different DFS differently. Um, even if I could do that, it probably wouldn't work entirely for you. So let's start, let's talk about a few different things that you can do to add value um, or, or ways you can, you can make improvements. And I'm gonna start from the post build screen, right? So this is, you know, you've built your pool of lineups, you've built your 500 and you're trying to arrive at your 20. This is most commonly where we send people first when you're thinking about where can you add value to the process. And the reason why is because it is very safe, right? We have optimized a pool of 500 lineups for this particular contest uh, based on the default sims, the default projections, the default settings for this contest. And all of these lineups in this pool of 500 can be thought of as viable, essentially, right? Um, so it's essentially an unopinionated pool of lineups from which you can pull, pull out an opinionated set of 20 lineups. I think the best thing you can do here, or the most probably the most logical thing that you would want to do here first, is make sure that your exposures to different players and stacks are in line with your personal risk tolerance, right? And on average, based on the sim precision slider that has been optimized for that particular sport and contest size and slate size, you are going to get a number that we think is appropriate on average, right? We think for the average player that 100% exposure in 20 lineups to Dylan Cease is appropriate. That is not actually going to be true for every individual player out there, right? I think thinking about this as an investment portfolio, right? How much comfortable, how comfortable are you being exposed to like individual assets in the form of players and stacks on this particular slate, right? Because again, what we're giving you here is a is a foundation, an average, a, a baseline, but it's not necessarily going to be true for everybody, right? We just answered in it to Binkett's question where basically he was saying, I'm not comfortable with the level of risk that is assumed by having a very rigid pool of pitchers. How can I diversify? Well, you would, in, you would decrease the max exposure here and sort through this pool of already viable lineups here to find your other 20, right? So I think that's like... That is why most of the time we send people to that first. Another option of, I think, ways to start thinking about this here is at the end of the day, SaberSim has a model powering our simulations, right? We have, like, I mean, if we think about what the word model literally means, we are trying to essentially recreate the game of baseball in the form of our sims. And it's a very robust model. It takes into account of great deal information. Um, if you are interested in learning more about what goes into that model, we have a really long, we have an hour and a half long video uh, where I interviewed Will and Matt who built it on our YouTube channel, right? Breaking down exactly how our simulations work. Uh, but all models have limitations. Uh, and I think one very good example of a limitation that any model has is dealing with new information or new situations. So I think one way that you can start to add a little bit of value to, to SaberSim or to start look at things is to look for situations that might be for one reason or another inherently hard to project. Uh, and last night is actually an interesting idea, right? On the main slate last night, uh, we had the Red Sox number one pitching prospect uh, in the form of Brian Bello on the mound here. 
who was projected for 11.79 points, very low. Uh, ownership, 8.59. He ended up mostly getting lit up. I don't know if he had the jitters or whatever, but uh, good good pitcher overall, good prospect, right? This situation is in, is inherently hard to project. We, we have a uh, model for projecting players that are coming up from the minors to the majors, right? We attempt to, to project that. Will has worked very hard on that. But that is a situation that because there is a limited there's a limited uh, history of data of that exact situation that it's going to be hard to project. It's going to be hard to project from a projection standpoint. It's going to be hard to project from an ownership standpoint. I think he came in almost 30% owned. That is a situation that for every model out there, not even just Saberson, is always going to be a little bit harder to project than uh, projecting how is Garrett Cole tonight going to match up against the Red Sox in a matchup that has happened a ton in the majors with very similar starting lineups, right? So look for situations where there is an inherently difficult situation to project because there is either a new player, a key injury. Um, earlier this year, we had the new Camden Yards for Baltimore, right? Um, that is a situation. How is the park change going to affect the way that Camden Yards plays? Well, we can guess at that. We can predict that it's going to be uh, a more pitching favorable park, but quantifying that exactly is difficult, right? So uh, I think as you get, and this is probably like the next step up, as you get more comfortable with understanding what SaberSim is doing for you by default and how to adjust your exposures to match your personal risk tolerance, and you feel like you've got that part of the process down pat, then I think you can start looking and asking yourself, where are situations where there is there a model? Is there something that is just difficult to project overall for one reason or another? From there, you can go back to your build, right? And maybe just make adjustments within your pool of lineups, right? Which is the safest way, again, right? You could come over here and say, let's see if I can kind of pick one out here for tonight's slate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. Um, let's see if I can just like find something that kind of jumps out to me uh, a little bit here. Um, who is, uh, it's kind of, I don't know if there's anything that like jumps out immediately here for me, uh, but maybe, you know, for one reason or another, um, I don't know, maybe for one reason or another, your research believes leads you to believe um, that, I don't know that you that you want to fade Garrett Cole, right? Actually, I think that's a decent example, right? Flyball pitcher can give up a lot of hard contact. Um, maybe you maybe you, your research leads you to believe that uh, he is over projected on this slate. One example of that maybe is the weather, right? Weather is can, weather actually is a good example. Weather can be somewhat chaotic. We take into account weather into our simulations, but. I believe it's hot in Boston today. I believe it's hit fa favorable pitching weather there. And maybe you believe that this number should be a little bit lower, right? Maybe you want to just take a stand given his ownership that you're fading him, right? You can do so in a very safe way by just Xing him out of your pool of lineups here because this pool of 500 was built not opinionated in that way, right? Like if you X Garrett Cole out in the, in the pre-build process, you're going to get a pool of 500 lineups that have no Garrett Cole in it. In this case, we built a pool of 500 lineups and we can basically pull out an opinionated set of 20 and saying, give me the best no Garrett Cole lineups possible, right? So I think as you start experimenting with basically making your own stands based on your own research, I would start by doing it within the context of a build that was built unopinionated about that research first. Once you start feeling more confident and comfortable that the decisions that and the stands and the research that you are making is adding value and is often at least directionally correct, 
then I think you can come over back here to the pre-build, right? And start doing some of this there. Maybe you say that Boston Red Sox are being undervalued on this particular slate and making this adjustment there and rebuilding an opinionated pool of lineups about that change, which will allow you to have a better, a better overall set of lineups on the other side, right? So um, that would be another way of kind of thinking about, you know, maybe looking at situations where there are factors that are not being appreciated heavily enough, that there are situations where it's inherently a difficult situation to project. Um, I was looking, I, again, and this, these are not going to be, again, the, the part of the problem here is that there's not a flow chart to identifying these situations, because if there was, it would be something that we would implement and rectify in the model themselves. There's more work. This is this, this is kind of stuff where you have to be willing to put in more work, not only to do the thing, but also to find out what the thing is to do for that particular slate. Right. Um, one other note that I will make here is, and this is probably, this is probably the last place I would go to add value to Saberson, but I think it can be it can be another step here uh, in the part of the process, maybe maybe kind of the final the final version of this. Uh, and that is basically looking at the things that Saberson automates for you and attempting to do them a little bit better. Uh, that is actually what is really at the spirit of my research builds. So I talk a lot on this stream about how I like to run research builds, which are builds run on 0010 settings. I build 1500 lineups, which is the max you can build in a build. I turn min salary off and I basically tell SaberSim, hey, show me what the optimals are. And let's set the Boston Red Sox here. Show me what, what the optimal lineup is for 1500 slate simulations for this particular slate, right? And what I use this for is generally I compare the the percentage of the time a player shows up in the optimal lineup, according to this build, to their ownership projections to find ownership leverage opportunities. Well, Saberson already takes into account ownership, right, in the form of the ownership fade slider. The reason I do this build is because I want to basically open up that black box a little bit more and study the slate myself and maybe find that I want to take a different direction than what Saberson gives me by default. Saberson may say, you know, ownership adjusted, the Colorado Rockies are the best stack on the slate here tonight. But I may run the research build and I may come to the conclusion and say, no, I actually think the White Sox are the best ownership adjusted play on the slate uh, or the, the Mariners are the best ownership projected play on the slate. And that's just my I come I come at DFS from a game theory standpoint where before I even discovered Saberson, the way I like to play DFS was I was focusing on ownership inefficiencies in the market. That was what I'm not as good at finding projection issues, right? I'm not as good at finding issues with the model. What I feel like I'm best at when it comes to DFS is given, assuming projections are perfectly accurate and assuming that ownership is perfectly accurate, figuring out what the optimal way to play that slate is. That to me is my niche in DFS. So I found this, this research build strategy that kind of allows me to do that. So, you know, I might come over here and see, you know, what are the, what are the best, what are the worst leverage hitting teams on the slate, right? I might be avoiding Braves, Diamondbacks, angels, that kind of thing. Right. And that's, that's kind of how I have arrived at a process that works for me that I feel like adds some value to the, the Saberson process. Um, if you want to see the process of somebody, uh, and it's, this is going to be a different sport, but if you want to watch the process of somebody who does something totally different to anything that I do, um, and, um, it's not up on the homepage here. Um, let's see if you just search max, um, this video, so yeah, if you search Max, uh, Max has come on this stream here a couple times talking about his strategy, but I think this video in particular 
is kind of just a mind blowing video to watch. Um, this is Max literally. So he recorded this seven months ago in the middle of, of basketball season, but he literally walked through his whole process for a basketball slate. So again, different sport here uh, and how he goes about building his lineups for basketball. And Max's strategy is so focused on research, uh, studying rotations, looking for situations where the, where models themselves, all models are just not looking at a game situation the correct way. And that's where he gets his edge, right? That's how he adds value. He takes the Sabersim foundation of the Sabersim Sims and does some research studying maybe rotations and looks for situations where maybe even a player is likely to play two more minutes than projected, but that's an edge, right? That's an opportunity where models are going to improperly project that situation. And he builds lineups that way. And he's not as focused on running research builds and looking for ownership inefficiencies and doing this, that, and the other thing like I do, because he's adding his, his value that way. So really long-winded answer here, because I, I want to do this question justice, but this is this is a very hard question to answer. Um, I would say in summary, a, a couple things to note. You know, one is first be aware of what SaberSim is automating for you because it is a ton and it's easy to underappreciate what's going on behind the scenes. A common question I get here on the stream is if I'm in a pinch or maybe if I'm not in a pinch and I just want to, can I just use the lineups from SaberSim and enter them in contests? And I would argue yes. I would say that you probably can and you probably would will will you'll probably be profitable, frankly. Now, but can you add value? Yes, of course. What are the best ways to add value? Well, I think the easiest way to add value to begin with is to make sure that your exposures match your own personal risk tolerance. Then I think you can graduate, or not. I don't want to necessarily say graduate because it implies a sequence, but I would say, you know, one, one thing you could also then add on that maybe requires a little bit more complexity is looking at the slate, conducting your own research and particularly targeting situations that be, because of, a rare, uh, like a weird situation in that particular game is a difficult situation to project and maybe make adjustments to your exposures based on that or based on, or making adjustments to your projections. And then finally, maybe one other thing you can do is, is look at what, what are the things that SaberSim does for you? And are there ways you can add value to that? Um, I like to do that. I like to basically augment or add on to what ownership fate is already doing by running my own research builds to see where ownership inefficiencies are. Another very, maybe even a much more simple example of that is yes, correlation is taken into account in SaberSim automatically. Can you add any additional value to the correlation slider itself, right? Uh, is there, do you have, is, is there maybe a particular stack type that you want to target instead of just taking exactly what stack types you get from SaberSim? For me, for example, in my particular process, I feel like there are so many lineups out there that can be made, especially on a 10 game baseball slate that most other things being equal, I would rather just play very correlated lineups. Like I think based on my, my experience playing DFS that SaberSim does a very good job of getting your stacks to a good spot to begin with. But I often find that I want to be more correlated than, than SaberSim does. So Typically, what I'll do is I'll review my stack types at the end of a build. We'll let this build finish, and I will remove any stack types that are not as correlated enough for me, right? And that's, you know, that's kind of based on some of the research that I've done, my history playing baseball DFS, um, you know, a variety of other things. That's just that's just something I've kind of, I've just kind of noticed about my strategy is I like to play highly highly correlated lineups. So I'll come over here and look at the stack types. 
And in this case, we're actually getting, to me, these are great. Five, three, five, two, four, fours. But maybe if there were some four, two, twos or some three, three, twos, like that might be a stack type I eliminate. And that's adding value, right? That's something that's unique to my process. That's that's something I think is a, is a good use of my time. Um, so last thing I'll note here, there's, there's other things popping into my head now here as well. So probably last thing I'll note on this particular question that is very baseball specific is Sabersim takes into account weather in terms of projecting the games. It does not take into account postponement risk uh, or rain delay risk. Uh, I think a really good use of time in terms of adding value is studying the weather, right? Preparing yourself for what games might have weather risk, risk of po postponement um, or rain delays and, and acting appropriately in response to that, right? That's not something that SaberSim can do on its own. SaberSim can't late swap your lineups for you, right? You at least need to initiate that. Uh, and SaberSim also can't eliminate games that have a potential risk of weather from your pool, right? That would be another way for 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 baseball in particular. Um, so this is truly the last thing I'll note on this question and then we'll move on. I, I will say also there is, I sense a hint of, I sense a hint of maybe potential mismanaged expectations here as well uh, here about like, how often you should expect to win with a process that is working. Um, I think it, I, I would, I would recommend checking out. So I have an old video up here on, um, on our YouTube channel here. Um, let's see, let's see if I can dig it up. Where is this? Um, okay. This one. So if you search winning player on our YouTube channel, this is a really old video. This is a uh, 15 minutes long. I basically did a Google sheets, simple simulation of what a hundred slates which is a lot, right? That's a hundred days of baseball uh, could look like even for a player who is winning long-term and it will go to show you how little a day, a week, really even a month is in the grand scheme of things in terms of assessing your process. So if this question is coming from the place of I'm not winning, this would be a good video to watch. And if you want to go a little bit deeper than that, I would actually go and check out, um, at least this video, play these GPPs to maximize your DFS process, which profits, which is where Eric kind of came onto office hours and talked about his research into contest simulations. But if you want to go even further, watch the entire behind the Sims series uh, about our contest simulations, because I think there, I think it is very easy to believe just based on the culture of hundred K screenshots on Twitter and things like that, that people are winning all the time. And the reality is that they're not, and that a good process isn't necessarily winning every night. Um, so anyway, long question, uh, good one. Good opportunity to talk about that one here. And, and for now, let's go ahead and keep it moving. Um, this is from Jimmy VB here. And uh, he said, contest entries. You mentioned being unique for each one. This morning in Lowell, I played 40 lines, 20 in the 25 cent, 20 in the $1. I set my exposure, sorted by saver score. First 20 in the $1, second 20 in the 25 cent. Is this viable? Uh, what I noticed is that the top 20 were favorites paired together, and the second was a mix of that and underdogs. Didn't cash at all in the $1, but had success in the $25, 25 cent, assuming this was due to the underdogs winning. What's a good way to make sure I'm getting all of the exposure to all the teams? Is there a better way to submit or sort or hand pick? Yeah, so... This can happen, right? So there's there's basically, there's there's two ways to fill your entries. So actually to summarize this question first, before I, I jump in, right? This is really asking about uh, the difference between unique random fill and unique rank fill in terms of like 
strategy, I guess. Uh, so we have two we have two fill methods to fill your entries on two unique fill methods to fill your entries on SaberSim, right? So assuming you want a unique lineup into every contest, there's there's basically two ways to do it. Um, and there are pros and cons to both. And I think you are basically hinting at the pros and cons of both of these here. So the first uh, is unique rank fill. Um, and what unique rank is going to do, um, as soon as my entries file uh, decides to play nice here. Uh, whoops, what happened? Let's see. Okay. So what the unique rank is going to do, and let me actually go back to a build and make sure I have the right number of lineups here so we can properly demonstrate this. Uh, oh, that's the research build. Let's go back over here. Okay, so we have, we need 199 lineups here. 199. All right. Give this a second. Good opportunity for me to catch my breath too. So, okay. So now we can, we have 199 and we're going to fill at least in a moment. Okay. So there's two options to do this uniquely, unique rank and unique random. I think most of the time when people want to use the unique rank, it's typically because they want their highest saver score lineups in their most expensive contests, right? A lot of times people say, hey, you know, I think I answered a question like this earlier this week. Hey, my best lineup last night was in the, the, the quarter. Um, how can I make it so my best lineup is more likely to be in the $5, right? Well, one way to do that would be to put your highest saver score lineup, which is basically quantifying the overall strength of a lineup in your best overall contest, right? So in this case, we would have the best overall lineup go in the chin music. Then lineups two, three, and four would go in the hot corner. Lineup five would go in the pickoff. And lineup six through 26 would go in the solo shot and so on, right? Uh, and then, you know, what you would get out of this is theoretically your best lineup, uh, your, your best your best lineups would be in the best contest. And if they weren't, right, if your best lineup was in the quarter jukebox, well, then you could say, well, based on my process and how I filled these entries, that's the, the best contest it could have been in anyway, right? Like it could have never been in any of these other contests. Uh, and I think that can sometimes be at least a little bit uh, like soothing, I guess, uh, encouraging maybe is a better word, right? Because you you uh, avoid the, the brain pain of like having your best lineup in your cheapest contest. But the problem with that, or, or maybe not the problem, but one one thing to be aware of with that is that it will incentivize or it will kind of encourage it it will uh, encourage maybe inconsistencies of the way your exposures are filled and that's that's what jimmy's really hinting on here right so you know we have in this particular case we have 37.7% joe musgrove in our lineups right in our pool of 199 but in our top 30 for example we might have 80% musgrove right it might just so happen that all our top 30 highest saber score lineups overwhelmingly use musgrove right? If you fill with the unique rank fill, you potentially put yourself at risk of having a situation where 18 of your 20 lineups in the solo shot have Joe Musgrove in it, and only five of your lineups in the minimax have Joe Musgrove in it, for example, right? So if you want to make sure that your exposure percentages of your lineups in any given contest that you are playing 
roughly approximate your total lineup exposure for any one player, you may prefer to use the unique random fill, which will take a random lineup from your pool of 199 and just put it into every contest you have here, right? Which will make sure you have a much flatter exposure to any given player. So it depends on what you are ultimately looking for. And I think it probably, I would say it actually probably more depends on what would make you less frustrated. Will you, are you going to be more frustrated if your best lineup ends up in your cheaper, cheapest contest? You may want to use unique rank fill to give yourself the best chance as possible about putting those best lineups into your highest dollar contests. To me, it is much more frustrating to have very inconsistent exposures and have one lineup, one contest that has a totally different exposure kind of context, context than another. So I prefer to use the unique random fill. Um, ultimately, I would say neither is going to have an enormous impact on your uh, expected value. Um, but that's kind of the, the pros and cons of, of thinking about either one there. So, um, but I guess specifically kind of wrapping up this question, what is a good way to make sure I'm getting exposure to all the teams? Is there a better way to submit or sort? I would say if that is your concern and you want an even exposure to your, if you want your exposures in both the $1 and the 25 cent to closely approximate your total lineup exposure equally, you should use the unique random fill instead of the unique rank fill. So. Um, cool. Um, okay, a couple other questions here. Metal Alloy says, uh, when you run a 0010 research build, is that the closest thing to turning SaberSim into a standard optimizer? No, I would say it's the almost almost the exact opposite. So running a 000 build, right? Turning the builder to cache settings and running a 000 build is using SaberSim as a traditional optimizer, right? This is basically saying optimize purely for the average projected lineups. Give me the best average projected lineups possible. Um, a 0010 build is almost the opposite. A 0010 build is as close as you can basically get to looking at the raw simulation outputs themselves. Right, because this is saying use take a single game simulation for every single lineup and then build me the optimal. Right. Don't use use the furthest thing away from an average. Use a single sim output for every every lineup. So, but if you want to use Saber Sim as a traditional optimizer, I think it can be useful as research too. Um, one way I like to, one way I've at least in the past, if I'm like if I'm looking at a slate and I'm thinking, you know, I don't really know exactly how the field's going to handle this. Maybe for one reason or another, the slate is kind of weird. And I think it's kind of a tricky slate to play. And I don't know what people are going to do. You can essentially mimic or recreate what most people will do with traditional tools by running a build like this and then setting like a five stack rule. This would be basically, this is the equivalent of somebody going to like Fantasy Cruncher and saying, give me, uh, give me a five stack in every lineup and go. This would basically mimic that, so it can be useful for research. But my what I what I kind of like define as a research build zero zero ten uh, is the opposite of that. It's it's a it's a, it's looking at single simulations and trying to look at the raw sims themselves essentially uh, and determining how likely players are to have upside outcomes. So uh, Robert says, "What's the average R squared for saber score and lineup score? Not looking for an exact number, just generally." Um, Two notes on this. So one, well, three notes. One, I, I don't know. Um, 
Two, I have a feeling that uh, our models team probably won't use R squared to capture that. Um, I, I, my, my uh, ears are tingling here that somebody on the the data team for us uh, would ha would have something to say about using R squared. But three, after after testing out and reback testing our sliders, one of the things that we want to look at next is Saber score. Um, Saber score is actually very closely tied to the sliders because it is dependent on sliders. Um, but one of the things that we want to we want to to basically look at uh, next. Um, after that is is kind of a, an analysis of saber score and and back testing that essentially and seeing how well it's how well it is doing what it's supposed to be doing so um but um at at the at the moment it 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 has been back tested as recently as our sliders have been most recently back tested as well so like it uh, it is, it is, I would say it is predictive on average, uh, that within the context of a contest that you are building lineups for a lineup, uh, in our simulations, a lineup with a higher saber score is likely to score better on average across the full run of our Sims than a lineup with a lower saber score. But I don't know at the moment what the quantification of that is um on a practical level i would highly recommend you treat saber score as a tiebreaker as opposed to a a law in your dfs lineups i would never if you build 500 lineups with the goal of picking out 20 to play in your contests uh i would i would not i would not not do something because you are sacrificing saber score like using the example from before i wouldn't look at 100 percent exposure to, to dylan cease and say oh well i guess i have to have 100 percent exposure to dylan cease tonight because that's what are the best saber score lineups i would instead match your exposure to dylan cease to what you are comfortable with for those lineups and then once that is done allow saber score to help choose what the final 20 you take with you are into your contests because ultimately, what Saber Score is essentially trying to do is quantifying the expected value of lineups, and that is very hard. That's a hard thing to do. Um, so there is there is naturally going to be some error in that calculation. Uh, and while it is good, I would not treat it as a a uh, like unbreakable law when it comes to to identifying what lineups to play. Um, I am very confident that it is far and away better than using something like Projected Score. Uh, which probably very poorly quantifies upside uh, because it does not take into account true scoring upside, ownership, correlation, uh, things like SaberSim does. So, um, but it is the target of some of the next research we want to do in our, actually, as, as actually a part of our Behind the Sims podcast. So, um, cool. That is the last question that was in the queue here. Uh, actually, I think unless there actually, I think there was a question that had come in earlier in um, the chat here. Oh, maybe not. No, I think we are all caught up. So I think on that note, we will wrap up the stream there for today. Uh, that was a fun one. A lot of uh, good questions to, to sink our teeth into here today. Uh, a lot of pretty 
like deep questions, I would say, uh, questions that kind of require a little bit more, uh, I don't know, conversation, discussion to, to break down. So uh, appreciate everybody that, that tuned in and watched and listened to this show. Appreciate everybody that uh, asked questions to be answered on this particular stream. To the crew out there that watches and listens to this show when it goes up on YouTube and wherever you are listening to your podcasts, uh, appreciate you guys as well as always. Uh, enjoy the 10-game baseball slate here tonight. Enjoy the rest of the Scottish Open if you played Golf DFS this week. Uh, I will be right back again for another stream tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, on time tomorrow. Uh, we did we did have to push back one hour today, uh, but on time tomorrow. And in the meantime, thanks, good luck, and see you. Take care.